and welcome to this session of the Reading Muslims podcast, where we'll be discussing the topic of the plague in the global context. My name is Sarah Marie, and I'm your host for today. I'm a PhD candidate at the University of Toronto Department of English, and I'm delighted to be here with our dear guest, Dr. Nuket Barlik. Welcome, and thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Barlik. Thank you. Um, Dr. Barlik is uh, an associate professor of history at Rutgers University in New York and the University of South Carolina. She's a historian of the Ottoman Empire interested in disease, medicine, and public health. She's the author of award-winning Plague and Empire in the Early Modern Mediterranean World, the Ottoman Experience from 1347 to 1600, uh, published in 2015 and editor of Plague and Contagion in the Islamic Mediterranean, published in 2017. Her new book project, Empire, Ecology and Plague, Rethinking the Second Pandemic, examines the 600-year Ottoman plague experience in a global ecological context. In conjunction with this research, she is involved in developing the Black Death Digital Archive and contributing to multidisciplinary research projects that incorporate perspectives from paleogenetics, bioarchaeology, disease ecology, and climate science into historical inquiry. She's the editor of the Journal of the Ottoman and Turkish Studies Association as well. So with that introduction and um, the multiple terminologies that it already introduces, let's just dive into the first question. Um, when we talk about the plague, um, depending on the sort of area of study that we're coming in, we usually either think of a distinctly Western medieval or early modern phenomenon, usually called the Black Death, or a purely Eastern malady of the 19th century, China, India, or the Ottoman Empire, sometimes referred to as the Oriental Plague. Um, and this depends on, um, like I said, the area that we're coming in um, from. How do you think these spaces and periods of time are connected when it comes to the plague? Um, and in your opinion, are such divisions and terminology potentially misleading? Yes, that brings us to the question of terminology that we need to think very carefully about uh, because the terminology we're using in a way when we use plague or when we use problematic terms such as oriental plague or uh, even the term black death itself all of these terms are, um, in a way, legacy of 19th century thinking, 19th and 20th century thinking about the history of uh, plague and uh, pandemic disease. So we need to take a critical stance toward the terminology we use. And today, we actually have an additional advantage that we didn't have before. And that is to say, we have a much better idea about the longer history of the plague bacillus, the pathogen that is involved in um, plague outbreaks. Plague is an infectious disease caused by the bacterium Yersinia pestis. And recent uh, paleogenetic studies made it possible for us to understand that we're talking about a bacterium that has affected human societies for at least the last 5,000 years. And it was uh, conventional or it had become conventional to think about the history of plague or history of plague pandemics in the form of three pandemics, first pandemic, second pandemic, and third pandemic, right? But today, this, this uh, periodization actually does not serve us well because we know that plague is much older and has persisted across wide geographies for a much longer time 
For example, recent studies have shown us that um, we know that plagues start causing epidemics, in fact, large epidemics, even in the late Neolithic Bronze Age period. So when we talk about the first pandemic, again, that's kind of the convention that we still use, uh, Justinianic plague, late antique era plague, that's not even really the first pandemic. So in that sense, you know, we're kind of repeating some of the older patterns of both the terminology and the periodization that we inherited from the older generations of scholars, but it really does not serve us well at this point. So one way of overcoming this problem is to follow the pathogen itself and look at its kind of long history. Uh, but for that, I think we need to revise our thinking about plague just going beyond local histories and try to adopt a more global approach to the study of, um, of plague and just, you know, getting rid of these disconnected histories and adapting a more uh, global approach. And again, just thinking that way, thinking back of terms like Oriental plague or the Black Death itself, some of these come with very heavy and toxic colonial uh, legacies that we have um, acquired uh, from mainly 19th century scholarship, but some of this also continued to the 20th century. So it's, it's very important to, to be clear about what terms we use uh, when we talk about the history of plague. That's, that's very interesting. I'm very happy you mentioned this need for going beyond the local histories and looking at these um, phenomena more globally, because this, this leads me very um, neatly to my second question, which is, um, what do you think we as scholars and generally just people who are living through a modern plague, so to speak, have to gain from a global approach to epidemic diseases and perhaps to the plague in particular? What does it add to our own understanding of um, what we're living through right now? Right. I mean, this is, of course, one of the questions that became interesting for many of us since the beginning of uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. How do we think about the past pandemics? Is there anything we can learn or any lessons we can draw from history of pandemics? And how will it or um, should it help us in thinking about the present uh, day crisis? And a way here, I think it's important to think about the dynamic relationship between the past and the present, right? As historians, of course, we know that the past matters and that we need to think about the past in a way that will, um, you know, confirm or reinforce that relationship with, with the present day because they're not entirely disconnected. Right? It's important to think about continuities and whatnot um, in a way to think that the present shapes our way of thinking about the past, but also the past kind of informs our thinking about uh, the present day. But one of the questions many of our many of uh, historians of pandemic um, have faced since the beginning of the pandemic is, is the, always the question is like, what lessons can we draw from history, right? I mean, history here... 
um, can really help us to think about uh, pandemics as global phenomena. When we're talking about pandemics, we're talking about uh, something, that disease that's, you know, spread to a continent or multiple continents, like either, you know, semi-global or global. So, of course, you know, in the present day, we're talking about the truly global pandemic. So in that sense, like, Everyone is involved, and this is something that affects every life. So it's important to keep that in mind in the first place when we're thinking about the history of pandemics So in the present day. But nonetheless, um, how can we learn from our present day thinking about pandemic crisis that would, in a way, be helpful for us to rethink our historical um, historical knowledge, historical models, historical like ways of thinking about past pandemics, right? Um, if we were to tell the story of the present day pandemic from the perspective of the experience of, say, just North America, things would look very different, right? Very kind of distorted or prejudiced or biased in some sense, then it would look, if we were to tell the story um, from the perspective of, a, you know, another region or another society. So, you know, of course, we're telling, if we want to tell a global story, we want to bring uh, together a global story, we want to take all these experiences into consideration and put them in conversation with each other. And that's exactly what we need to do when we're thinking about past pandemics. And here, I think I would like to emphasize, you know, by, by taking the diverse voices into consideration and by trying to, trying to bring together the disconnected histories, um, just as today, as, as, as we, you know, should, um, and in the same way in the past, most of the history of pandemics until today in the historical scholarship, well, it has been told in a way that kind of privileges um, Europe. I mean, mostly if we're talking about the medieval and the late, late medieval and early modern period into the modern period and um, North America, right? So you want to read like, you know, centuries of global history only from the vantage point of one tiny geographic area, you know, when you put it in perspective that is not going to give you a good picture. It's going to be very skewed. It's going to be very subjective experience. Um, not only that it will not represent the whole thing, but also the picture that you will get from like the Eurocentric vision of articulating the history of pandemics will actually distort our view of the experiences of um, epidemic disease in other societies. We need to be mindful of that. Yeah, um, it's it's very interesting because, um, like you said, we are focusing mostly when we're talking about the history of the pandemic. Um, even just, I think, a cursory uh, search would just bring up sources all, um, you know, concerned with the Western experience. Um, but, you know, to get a little bit more specific on that, when we're talking about, the, like, when we say the word plague or when we use the word plague, plague is rather vague, I think, for denoting a disease, um, even in English. Like, the word plague in English is, is quite vague 
um, to denote a, a disease that affected so many regions and so many um, different kinds of people. But especially in Arabic sources and the Persian ones that I'm familiar with, um, I'm not familiar with Ottoman sources, so I would love to hear your thoughts on that. Um, but the word for plague um, used usually is tone. Um, and it's sometimes used interchangeably or even simultaneously uh, with the word waba, which in medical terminology translates to cholera. Um, and tone can also refer more generally to any epidemic disease like smallpox or just pestilence in general, like floods or earthquakes. So what sort of... Um, problems does this create when interpreting um, particularly Islamic sources? And how can we overcome such hermeneutic obstacles, do you think? Yeah, well, that takes us to, again, the question of terminology, but also the colonial legacy of the terms that we use. So we need to be very careful about it. Um, I think there are like similar problems going on in different uh, linguistic traditions. And I think I find it helpful to think about the English word plague, but at the same time, uh, what's going on in the Islamic world. I mean, you brought up the exam, the terms ta'un and waba are, um, again, both uh, terms have um, um, Arab, their origins in Arabic. Um, and it's not actually true that they were only used for cholera or um, at least, you know, starting in the 19th century, this is something that we see in Persian sources, but not um, universal. I mean, uh, as far as the Islamic um, world is concerned. Uh, but um, so for, okay, for both terms, um, we see that their meaning um, was fluid and changed over time, as one would expect with, you know, different disease experiences in history. Uh, at times we see them being used interchangeably, right? Um, but generally speaking, I think starting in the beginning of the second pandemic, that is to say, you know, what starts with the Black Death pandemic and the recurrent outbreaks of plague after that, it's usually accepted Wabe, um, that Wabe, um, it was used for um, like a generic uh, epidemic disease uh, meaning and Taun more specifically for bubonic plague. But again, nothing is set in stone and those terms kind of, you know, changed their meaning over time. Sometimes we see that they're being used together, both of them. Sometimes they're being used, you know, um, um, uh, alternatively in place of each other. So that's also common. Uh, but sometimes we see other words being used to describe um, the epidemic disease. In, in the Ottoman sources, um, ta'un is used more typically until, um, more commonly until the 19th century or so for, for bubonic plague, after which Weba becomes more kind of like standard term, I believe, that it becomes modern Turkish, Weba, the, you know, Turkish form of the Arabic word uh, is, is used for plague, right? So, I mean, meanings of the terms change over time, and that's, I think, something we see in, in, in other uh, languages as well. When we think about the word uh, plague in English, right, again, just not specifically the disease plague, Yersinia pestis caused infectious disease that we kind of accept 
medical um, as a medical term, but just you know any disease or any kind of disaster, like a very general meaning. But here is something that we need to think about the history of the term itself, like and all the kind of historical associations that come with that term. So it's very important to be specific. And you know, in my own writing, I always want to specify that when I use the term plague, you know, what I mean is this very specific historical um, the, uh, bacterial infection. Uh, and it's kind of, you know, it's helpful to kind of clarify some of the confusions that, that come uh, with it. But at the same time, now we're using, I mean, some of these terms, I mean, this goes the same for uh, true for plague or ta'un or what like these were terms that have been, um, that have been used before uh, the microbiological identification of uh, this bacterium, right? Um, but now we're in a position to be more specific about the bacterium, about the, the bacteriological identity of the disease we're talking about. And so, you know, not only that gives us more specificity on um, like the terminology we use, but at the same time, we can also you know, clarify um, our discussion of plague with other types of data, right? For instance, if our sources are not specific, you know, if we cannot identify what disease they're talking about, if we, if they're using like quote unquote plague in a more generic sense, and perhaps it's not specifically plague, but maybe another um, epidemic disease, it's always possible to, um, add non-textual sources to kind of, you know, develop more insights about what disease they're talking about. Like we can look at the epidemiological character of disease. In some cases, like you can look at whether mortality patterns are kind of typical for plague, or maybe, you know, it seems to be another disease, right? You can also look at seasonality if the historical sources allow us to understand, like, you know, whether it starts like, you know, in the summer heat or whether it spreads in the winter and then all those, you know, types of characteristics that the disease that we know today, you know, can help us guide to, like, help us identify it. Of course, you know, we should always be, embrace the idea that we can never be precise when we're only using textures. But again, like, in addition to it, let's also remember that our other kind of interdisciplinary studies can help um, our understanding of past pandemics. So paleogenetics, for example, bioarchaeology, these are all now new tools that can help us understand whether we're talking about like this disease or that disease, right? So it's, it's in a better position to identify those past diseases in a way that we were not like 10 or 20 years ago. So, but also, I mean, as historians, we know that terms kind of are fluid they change from time to time, from place to place. So in a way, I think it's just embracing that idea. Thank you. Yes, I, I love um, the idea of just embracing the sort of undecidability that sometimes is inherent to just, you know, diving into historical sources um, and perhaps not really looking at it as, as an obstacle, but just the fun of doing historical work, maybe. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing else we can do at some time, at some um, points. Um, so um, I want to get a little bit more specific into the focus of this um, Reading Muslims project, which is textuality um, and reading practices um, in particular. 
Um, so when we are dealing with plague documents, um, in my opinion, we're in fact reading other people's um, readings and interpretations of a somewhat unknown event at that time. Um, it's still unknown to some some extent, I think, for us even. Um, so in terms of their um, explanations, solutions, moral and behavioral di- directions, um, and the effects on society. So they're just narrating um, all of these aspects of an event that's um, taking place and taking shape. Um, how are these readings and interpretations different, if they are, um, in the Islamic and Christian sources that, that you have studied or that you have come across? Um, and in what aspects are they similar when it comes to the general um, responses of peoples to disaster? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think I should start by saying that I disagree with like unknown uh, disease because, well, okay, it depends on what time period we're ta- what we're, we're talking about, right? I mean, we're talking about in the very early um, outbreak of the second pandemic with the Black Death and perhaps, you know, shortly after that, in a way, we can say that it was unknown or unfamiliar to the majority of the population that um, experienced it. But let's just remember that in, in terms of plague, and this applies to many other epidemic diseases of the past, that epidemic diseases have a tendency to come back, right? So they're not like a one-time event, but it's more like a process that just, you know, behaves in a pattern, cyclical pattern. So they come, they infect a population and they perhaps, you know, kill a certain percentage of the population or others, you know, survive. But then, you know, it disappears for a while but then it comes back again. So it's more like a pattern of of recurrence that we need to think about. And in that context, we need to remember that we're talking about generations of um, people who had to uh, learn how to live with that disease, right? Whether we're talking about plague or any other disease, in fact, in this, um, it would be helpful to think of these as emerging infectious diseases as we understand today, because at some point in time, those diseases represent a kind of emergence and then a persistence of, of disease in the sense that they come and affect populations, you know, they retreat and then they come back again. So in that sense, we need to think about that long um, history of the disease to be able to understand how human societies built methods to cope with this crisis, this type of traumatic event, um, how they built mechanisms of resilience to deal with this, whether it's whether we're looking at, you know, social um, or institutional structures or uh, law or medicine or culture. I mean, whatever aspect you're looking at, you are definitely going to find some form of knowledge and a set of practices that will show you the legacy of epidemic disease. So in that sense, yes, perhaps in the beginning it was unknown, right? Very quickly start working, uh, building a body of knowledge, knowledge of the disease. And so it becomes familiar and it kind of, you know, it's embedded in, in the culture, right? In 
in cultural norms and in law and in, in, in belief systems, uh, in literature, in art, in, in you know, many, many aspects of, of cultural uh, production of the, the societies that we're dealing with will, will show signs of this epidemic experience. So in that sense, it becomes familiar. And when it becomes familiar, then you have all these sources that talk about it in in different ways, right? Um, so here, perhaps it's a good uh, moment to think about the sources on plague produced in the Islamic world and looking at what was going on in 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 the, in the Christian Europe in particular. And in fact, when I look at those sources, just again, more or less in terms of time frame from the late medieval period to the early modern, what I see in that comparison is that they're actually very similar in the way they think about plague, in the way they write about their experience, in the way that pandemic legacy becomes embedded in different cultural norms and institutions and knowledge. And I think this applies to a broad range of um, aspects of their experience of disease, ranging from medical knowledge to culture, um, to law, public health, and and, then many, many different aspects. So I think they're more than different, but sometime around the century, I would say, a, a narrative of difference starts to emerge. And the reason this narrative of difference emerges in Europe is that European experience of plague starts to diverge from the Islamic world in which plague becomes less frequent and in, in Europe. Um, and so there's a long process by which plague retreats from Western Eurasia. And it kind of becomes less frequent in Northern and Western Europe first, and then from Eastern and Southern Europe first, but it still continues to, you know, in the Eastern Mediterranean, North Africa, and whatnot, what corresponded historically um, to um, the Islamic world, mainly the Ottoman Empire at the time. But so when you see the narrative of divergence or the narrative of difference emerging in the Europeanist historical scholarship, and also in medical scholarship in historical epidemiologies, that legacy continues into the 19th and 20th centuries and thinking that, oh, you know, you don't have these big outbreaks, big, big um, epidemics in Europe of plague, but you have them in the Islamic world. So it just very quickly turns into a blame game, thinking, huh, it's like us and them, right? It's like, we don't have plague, but they do. So it must be because of something they do wrong. Or it very, it's very quick to jump into that assumption of like, there's something wrong with them, right? They must be doing something wrong. And in that way, you see all sorts of associations emerging with, like, with disease to either the land or the people who inhabit that land. So Oriental societies, right? So, I mean, I think we've seen examples of that, you know, like those stereotypes and the blame game during the COVID-19 pandemic today. It's, it's very, you know, easy to, to jump 
to making those associations, you know, related to like people's culture, belief and practices. And so I think, you know, you refer to the Oriental, we talked about Oriental plague in the beginning of our discussion. So in a way, so where we are still dealing with the legacy of those older, you know, associations, these uh, societies. That's that's very interesting. I guess I fell. I usually fall into my own um, like the first question that I asked about. Oh, we either only think about the Black Death or the other like later plagues because I'm a medievalist. When I refer to plague, I usually only mean the Black Death. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, that's um, that. What that's what makes me think about it as largely unknown. But then I don't notice that. Okay, you know. In a couple of centuries, it wasn't unknown anymore. I'm just thinking about, you know, the first outbreak, which is the 1348, which is the only one that matters because that's where I work. So um, I shouldn't fall into my trap, I guess. So the last question, um, and this brings us back to the introduction that I began with, it has to do with interdisciplinarity. So as you work with such diverse fields as genetics, archaeology, bioarchaeology, history, um, and all the other sort of various and seemingly unrelated at first fields show, um, in the past few years, sciences and humanities have come together more and more, you know, widely different fields of scholarship. How has this collaboration contributed to the field of plague studies, especially in the Islamic world? And what do you think, I mean, you talked a little bit about how we can perhaps, you know, overcome some of the difficulties in in using historical sources through interdisciplinarity. But what do you think are the future directions and possibilities of such a collaboration between different yeah, thank fields? Thank you for this question. In fact, well, thank you for all of your questions. But here, I think we're really you know, discussing something that matters not only for, for today, but also for future um, studies on, and a plague in, you know, when we're talking about the interdisciplinarity that we use in plague studies, I think there's something really special or something really that needs to be highlighted when it comes to why plague became the, um, the center, in a way, of attention for these different interdisciplinary studies. And this has a number of reasons that goes back to the more kind of um, scientific nature of retrieving your Yersinia pestis uh, genome from, you know, historical uh, genetic material, but also that plague has always been a very prominent disease in the historical sources and comparison to others, and also something that kind of generates a lot of public attention in the historical imagination. So there are all sorts of reasons uh, for it. But I think at the same time, we need to, I think we can talk about why or how um, it became a very productive area of study in which we can bring different perspectives from, you know, the humanities and uh, the natural sciences. And again, it doesn't mean that we have all the answers and, you know, it's, it's a process and it's a process of learning for many of the different actors or participants in these interdisciplinary studies. But I think there is one thing that we all agree on, and it is that the study of a past disease or the study of plague in this in this particular really exceeds or goes beyond the expertise of any particular discipline, right? I mean, as historians, yes, we know historical archives and we can dig in our archives and find documents and, you know, explain the context better. But there are other disciplines that can contribute to this study in 
other meaningful ways. So I think, you know, we all agree that it needs, it needs to be collaborative work. It needs to draw on the expertise of different uh, groups of people from different studies. But at the same time, you know, we are each asking different questions. And we also kind of learn from the questions that our colleagues in other disciplines ask how we can incorporate their insights and what we have to offer. Um, and really the synergy, I think, can really move us forward. And in that way, I think plague is, you know, has a very special place in these types of consilient research in basically teaching us like how to think interdisciplinarily, how to do interdisciplinary work, and perhaps also how to set a model or precedent for the study of other diseases or other historical phenomena in a way that kind of brings together insights from different disciplines. So I'm hopeful. Yes, um, we should all be hopeful because the I think the scholarship that has been produced by this um, sort of collaboration um, really makes a jump from whatever was, you know, done for for decades before. So yes, let's remain hopeful, especially in the time that we're all living through it. I think it's very important for all of us to to remain hopeful. I'm very happy that you ended this podcast on that very bright uh, note. I'd like to thank you so much again, Dr. Raleigh, for joining us today. This was incredibly informative discussion for me personally, um, and I hope that our listeners enjoyed it as much as I did. And I hope to work with you again on this podcast and this um, project later as well. Thank you. This, this was um, a pleasure for me.